0: to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I'm lucky to have Steve Amick here. Steve, welcome to Living Writers.
1: Thanks a lot. It's great to be here.
0: <laughs> on April 29th, 2009. I've um, just mentioned we're pre-recording the show, um, so it's coming to you on the the same day here, April 29th, but we're, we're here a little earlier in the studio. Um,
1: I like to think that it's because I'm the equivalent of those... Uh, Those people that they always pre-record on on national TV shows just, you know, because they're so volatile.
0: It's because of your track, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's actually, you know. I, I, I find Tourette's charming, so uh, anyway, um, before we go any further, I'm going to say that you're, you're actually here not only because you're um, a pretty face, Steve, but because your latest book is out, March 2009, just out this spring, um, Nothing But a Smile with Pantheon Books out of New York, um, So nothing but a smile with a racy cover, which again, I wish we could send out the visuals. (laughs) And uh, and I'll just read your bio from the back to give us some footing here. Steve Amick is the author of The Lake, The River, and The Other Lake. Born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, he received a B.A. from St. Lawrence University and an M.F.A. in creative writing from George Mason University. His short stories have appeared in Playboy, The Southern Review, New England Review, Story, McSweeney's, in the anthology The Sound of Writing, and on National Public Radio. On walks with his wife and young son, he often passes the original Argus Camera building.
1: Which doesn't mean anything unless you read the book.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, this is all about photography, and uh, and and the old West Side gets bandied about. Right. we've got Chicago and Ann Arbor as the the main hotspots, and some farm up north, right?
1: Yeah, and uh, St. Johns, which is north of uh, just north of, north of Lansing.
0: And so, well, let's let's fill in some of your biography here that that covered your your educational chops, right. Steve, and uh, and you come from here. You're a, you're a local boy.
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, um, I went away to to do my undergraduate work, which I mentioned in there because I found that um, that the the alumni the alumni groups at your colleges will really either get behind you or not if you mention them in the bio.
0: <laughs> So it's not if you've got a gift giving thing in place. No, yet. no, it's you just got gif- to give them the book. <laughs> So, uh, plus maybe it's good to know. So people don't just assume since you're from here, you went to the university of Michigan. They
1: do assume that, uh, they assume too, that, um, my parents were somehow, uh, professors or something because of my chosen profession, but that that's pretty far from the mark.
0: What were your, what were your parents? Uh,
1: they're still here. So I have to be careful about what I say
0: and speak in <laughs> the present <laughs> tense, right? I shouldn't yeah. have said, what, no, I mean, they're they? still here in Ann
1: Arbor. Um, <laughs> Uh, my father was a realtor or is, and, uh, and, and owned some, uh, some rental properties. And, um, my mother was a school teacher in the Ann Arbor school system briefly before she had kids. This is back when you had to make a choice. I mean, not so much with my dad, but with the school system, really. I mean, it was difficult for women to have maternity leave and that sort of thing. So that even comes up in the book, really, those issues for women. Yeah. That, um, and so uh she read a lot to us, but um I think that I was really the reader of the family and certainly the writer of the family, but but there wasn't a lot of uh they didn't read a lot of they didn't read a lot of novels and that sort of thing. That wasn't that was sort of something that I did. But when we were small children they read to us. And or so, my my mom read to and, us.
0: And so when did you become the reader of the family?
1: When uh As soon as we had any kind of forced family fun car trip, I think, you know, as soon as I was in a car or van with everybody, then, and I needed to shut everything away. So So motion
0: sickness, not a problem for Steve
1: Amick. No, and in fact, because of a a weird gerrymandering with the uh, public school system, I went to uh, Pattengill, which was elementary school. So right when I was learning to read was an hour bus ride from my house. They'd made an arbitrary line in front of the river, and of right across the river was the new school, Martin Luther King. And uh, and my mom campaigned the whole year before kindergarten that I, can't I just go across the river? <laughs> um, went to school board meetings and stuff, and, uh, and no, so I rode on a bus, and I learned to read on the bus, so... Uh,
0: And buses are the bumpiest transport around, aren't they? So if you can do that. Later, I
1: was sort of the road trip guy and (laughs) slept in my car quite a bit and uh, really used to motion. And then also we we had um, and have a place up north, and so a lot of my reading was in the car going back and forth up there. And that was another part of my my fantasy world in terms of writing and, and reading was probably Though my dad wasn't much of a reader, he did give me that gift of having that kind of a summer where we didn't have a phone or or uh, a TV. So so then you could
0: use the gateway of your imagination yeah. and get down into the books and.
1: Uh, you know, one summer early on, I made the mistake of reading the in- collected works of O. Henry one summer at twelve, I think, um, on the raft, mostly in *More Motion* and uh, <laughs> and. Uh, and I was still paying for it in grad school 10 years later, you know, trying to not prejudge my endings and that sort of thing. I had that right. totally out of my system. I, I now work completely from from a character and, and allow them to, to drive the story wherever it's going according to their needs and not my idea of a clever ending. But. It took some almost uh, almost exorcism kind of <laughs> work to get that out of my system, and that pa bamba at the end, little rim shot. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, because a
0: lot of people, you could get a lot of applause from that too early <laughs> on. So you want to keep in yeah. some ways replicating. Oh, sure. It. In junior
1: high, yeah, and I and I did. Uh, you know, I, I. Yeah. So when I, did you start writing? So we've got your reading. Twelve down. or thirteen. Um, And, you know, and and I did, with those kind of stories, place and then win one of the scholastic writing contests. And I was encouraged all through junior high, um, and I've mentioned these people before, so I know I can say them, but two really well-respected and uh, sort of award-winning teachers, one in TAP and uh, Jan Newman. Both both of them don't teach anymore, but... um, Jan Newman was uh, seventh seventh or eighth grade, I think all the way through Tappan. I went, uh, I was in her class and um she she gave me an assignment. The real the real moment was she gave an assignment to the class that was to finished the Lady and the Tiger short story. <laughs> and um, you know, there's two the guy has to choose between two doors and it's the lady or the tiger. And I just as sort of a smart ass kind of Thing I wrote up this thing that he answers the door and it was the Avon lady and she's selling like Tiger shampoo and the, the Princess bath beads and all this and he'll you know he'll receive his order in two weeks and then that's it's over it's sort of it was sort of a joke and I turned it in and then she called me into her little office on the side of the classroom and I thought I was in trouble I was gonna have to do more work and all this and she said no I think you should be a writer and I'm gonna read this to the class and and. Uh, I said, as long as I go to the bathroom while you're doing it. That was (laughs) some great then,
0: Steve. That was yeah,
1: and and she told me, no, you should be a writer. And the other options at that point, I think, were you know, I was the class clown, and uh, the other options. This was the first positive kind of thing that I'd, I'd heard about my the way my. Mine was working. Well,
0: because you have other careers listed on your website, like Astronaut, and I think they're
1: kind of... <laughs> oh, you can read that. Oh, this tiny little thing up yeah. on... Yeah. Uh, that's my business card I used to have. Uh, things crossed out. Um, yeah. And you,
0: and you also are a musician, and that's what I'm we a started. I'm a bad musician, with, but I, I, I love song. writing
1: songs. And uh, um, Tell us about that song we heard at the beginning, Steve. That song is on a CD that I did... Uh, W- produced by Jim Roll and Brian Lilly who are great local musicians. Um uh and it's called The Song of the Townies and it and um it's really about it's kind of an an allegory for my own experience of coming back to Ann Arbor after having uh gone off and had education and career and living in other places um far from here. Yeah when
0: did you come back,
1: Steve? I came back this last time, in 97. And I'd been a teacher. I'd um, stumbled from there into a more lucrative way to support my writing, which was advertising. Um, And I went sort of the backwards way. I was running into all these people in advertising who wanted to write. And I was in advertising because this crazy little uh, agency in New York that won awards but was a crazy... Place full of dogs and babies called Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Uh, read a story in Story Magazine, I think, that I had about a called the Man in the Mouse Suit, which was about a guy who was the top mouse at Disney World, and this young gun comes in and he's going to kind of take his job from him. And they loved it, and they they hired me to work on the Village Voice campaign, which was a copy heavy kind of thing that they wanted to do. And because I didn't know anything about advertising, and it won a Clio, and and I went from there to being a freelance. Uh, copywriter and it was a way to make
2: a lot a of money yeah,
1: yeah, to, you know, I could work for two months and yeah. I d- did radio for Snapple and things like that and I could work from my basement and uh, it's crazy it doesn't exist like that anymore and it doesn't exist for me like that anymore but it was a way that I could then live anywhere I wanted and I thought well every t- I was living in New York and then just closing my apartment not even renting it out which people thought was nuts um, subletting, I would just come home and go to the family cottage and come back to Ann Arbor. And so then it, when I, when I had the opportunity to just live here, I decided to, my parents still live here and I figured one of the siblings should live here, you know, as they get older and, uh,
0: but something about the necessarily place. any help <laughs> and you're not a martyr, <laughs> but it's something about the place actually brought you back. There was something, and so you can write well in Michigan. Well, I kept
1: going to the, sh- I kept going to the shrink every, every Week and um it it started boiling down to where are the trees and and oh, so they, while she you finally were in New York, said, yeah, she finally said, "What about moving <laughs>
0: <laughs> go, go to the trees Steve. Yeah. just go to the trees, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, it was to the point where I would sometimes drive out of New York in the middle of the night and then and then the sun would come up, and my eyes would hurt. Because of the green, you know the the difference. You hadn't seen the green all all winter, and uh, it was just a color you didn't see. So uh, yeah, I, I moved back to Ann Arbor, and as I, when I came back, um, prior to that, my writing had always been. Uh, I, I never. I sort of took Michigan for granted as a subject. I always thought it was pedestrian, and and. Um, Something well, not You had bigger
0: money. mice to fry. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Too bad we um, can't edit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, it started creeping into my stories, and whether or not that was coincidental or not, I started having more luck with selling stories, and I started allowing that to be more a subject and I, I think as a younger person I never would have written a novel that takes place in Michigan like the first one did and and I just and that's your first novel at least that's what it says is that or did you, do you have another one novel. In, the bo- okay. yeah, I mean, in the drawer or? oh tons <laughs> you know um it's people would be alarmed at how much you know I think I think most writers end up doing um, so
0: let's take a with that okay. moment of alarm <laughs> <laughs> and my bad moment as well. <laughs> we, we'll come back. You're, we're going to take a short break uh, today on the program. Steve Amick with his latest book, Nothing But a Smile. You're listening to Living Writers. We'll be back. Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel, um, and today Steve Amick, his novel "Nothing But a Smile," his second book, and um, thanks to Alex Bellhodge for engineering being in the um, the big chair in the other room there. Um, so, so Steve, this is um, this is your second novel, but you're also a short story writer, and that's what was making the that that gave you a big break into advertising.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of and, backwards. It,
0: and and you've placed them in in Playboy, McSweeney's, other
1: uh, yeah, Story, Southern Review. I haven't done a lot in a while, and I and it used to be the thing that came to me easiest, and and I and it hasn't lately, and I don't know if that's just that I'm having some luck with novels, and so I'm focusing on it, or if my idea of storytelling is becoming more expansive. It's all there are possibilities
0: well because off off the air you you mentioned I think it was off the air about um no it was on air the the characters that the characters are driving the work rather than than your your um your idea of of a plot or or going yeah. towards some ending that you know about
1: Yeah more and more I'm I'm sorry
0: Oh well, I would say that's definitely true. That was my maybe one insight from nothing but a smile. I wanted to talk about your characters because it definitely it seems natural and that they're steering and that they're they're you make them individuals and alive.
1: Yeah, I had no I had no plan for this book. In fact, this book happened so I don't want to say quickly because it sounds slapdash, but it it was. I mean, it happened so succinctly and and
0: the writing itself or the ideas as the the characters well, came
1: to you. Yeah, the ideas come entirely out of character in this one entirely out of character put in put in a position of conflict which is really all story is and i'm getting more and more strict about that and and uh, when i've had occasion to teach again um i i hammer that in so hard that people probably are annoyed by it but um i've become as a writer more and more interested in um describing empathy and creating a sense of empathy and using empathy as a way to to locate the story um going from an earlier kind of high concept sort of story that i probably was writing more as a younger person um being more interested in people like uh, tc boyle and uh, vonnegut and people like that um very clever kind of stuff i still enjoy that but um now i really want to know exactly who is this person and what what position are they in and the feeling of empathy um Goes even further than just i mean i I love getting into characters that are not necessarily anyone I would normally hang out with they don 't have to be the scum of the earth but they're sort of they 're sort of marginal uh or, or they 're marginalized in a way or um can you uh,
0: give us an example like,
1: well in the first book there's a there's a it's a multi character thing and um and I found myself um being able to get into the, the head of a, a troubled uh reverend who's having trouble with internet porn, uh and uh a Vietnam vet and, and a young girl and that that sort of uh, that sort of excursion into unknown people's brains is really I think what why we read fiction So can you even research that why empathy. I'm writing it. Oh wh- right yeah. yeah. Yeah but it's both, you know. Um well I think that research helps you find little trigger things that, that you can latch on to. I think with the Reverend, what I did was, I'm I'm not, um, I'm a very secular-minded person. And so and this,
0: g- you're talking about the lake, the river, the lake, and the, the other, river, other lake. River, yeah, just
1: as an example of okay. a more extreme point of view jump, um, what I found was I found that he had an affection for jazz, and though I'm not a great expert, I could understand that as a... As, as someone who enjoys music and um it's important in my life. Um so I use that as a way to kind of connect with him, though I didn't see eye to eye any other any other thing. It's it's just a completely different mindset than an earlier idea of story, which was that I'm gonna control all these things and all these devices. And here you only really get I love that I love that you get to create your own world. In in that book I created my own town and everything, but um people often mistake the act of writing, I think, fiction as playing God. And and sort of where, mm. and I make the correction that you're actually playing Roman emperor. You know, like, bring in a tiger and then this other guy, and let's see what happens. <laughs> and the Avon <laughs> lady. Yeah, and the Avon <laughs> lady. And, uh, you know, but you don't decide their fate. They decide their fate by, by being a strong character. In the case of Nothing But a Smile... I didn't have anything but the two characters the first day, um, and and
0: how did that come to you? Like, they, were they, you sketching out just ideas or what?
1: Well, the the story came about from a visual. Um, I I had also a background in in, 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 uh, in the visual arts. I I minored in fine arts uh, in college and stuff, and dabbled in painting and things like that. And my father in law. This I started this book in the in two thousand January of two thousand seven. And, um, my father-in-law had just been diagnosed with, uh, terminal cancer, I mean, overnight. And, uh, I didn't know him very well. Um, but he was a, he well, was you've a
0: dedicated the book to, yeah, probably to him and, and, and
1: my wife. Uh, but, um, Don was a, a commercial artist in Chicago in a different time, in the 50s, 60s, and set, end of the 50s. In fact, he worked down the hall. He often talked about working down the hall from a couple guys who were working on a new magazine. It was Playboy, and they had like jazz musicians over and that kind of stuff. And the day that he was starting to feel sick, and he went home, and he ended up going to the hospital and having emergency surgery that night back home in, in Illinois, um, he wasn't feeling well, and he was in my living room, and we were alone, and I was kind of... One i went to talk about we started talking about gil elvgren the, this uh, famous uh pin-up artist painter commercial artist he really was an advertising guy he he did a lot of the coke santas uh, after hal sunblum and stuff he figured his,
0: he's a character in your
1: book yeah he kind of walks in and um he was in he was in it more deliberately and then i kind of adjusted it later and made him so that he's not i mean he's upstairs at one point and there's sort of a there's an imagine <laughs> scene and,
0: and your main character wink won't go up because he doesn't want to face yeah, this guy he, he that has been his former with him. teacher and, yeah. and uh, <laughs>
1: uh but but don said you know that guy was our hero all of our you know and and i really blew it i had a chance to study with him and i didn't do it and uh we were admiring him and then so then he went home and he got sick and over christmas i was we were trying to engage him because he was going through chemo or some treatments and and uh he was you know, drifting away, and so to engage him, I, well, I, I was looking for a calendar, January 1st, on Amazon, and I, f- I couldn't find Gil alvgren The first thing that came up was a very amateurish photo of, and I have it too, of uh, an, a naked woman on a, like...
0: A bare rug. or what, No, but skin. like a, like <laughs> a
1: bad... Howl, uh, oh, oh, but no. like very, it was like, it's like the early Marilyn Monroe ones before she dyed her hair, like very fresh faced and happy looking and just totally girl Sweets. next door. Sweet. <laughs> but then it's like a basement because there's a, there's a like bricks and they've painted a cartoon sun that's leering at her on the, on the wall. And it's like a combination of really seedy and really hokey and like girl next door. And it was in its own way kind of hilarious. And I thought that's amazing. That's just an amazing picture. Um, and, yeah. What's the story of that? Yeah. And so, I I took the I robbed the thing and I put it in a file. I'm always working on a million things and juggling things. This wasn't anything I was actively going to do. It was half a joke, and I put a title on it, The Girlies, a novel by Steve Amick. And uh, I put it in my file, like, some year when I'm really stuck, I'll work on something like that. And the next day, it started coming to me, what would that be? And the first five minutes, I was thinking, that's two guys back from the war. It's a little earlier because then the time frame is more. There's more conflict going on because of World War II and rationing. I started thinking what increases the stakes, and then about five minutes later, I realized it's one guy coming back and and meeting uh, his buddy's wife, and and so I thought my wife is about to have a a baby in in uh, a few months, and if I write five pages a day for two two f- two months, I'll have a first draft of this if it's interesting. We'll see in a couple of days and it was interesting. And it was also a way that I could engage Don and I call him up. I didn't end up using a lot of hard research from him, but the act of talking to him about it, he was very interested in the book. He knew all about the book. He knew about the baby. He never saw either one. But uh I'm sorry. Yeah, but you know, it, it, he would have liked it a lot. And uh uh so I kind of worked worked on it for those two reasons. And, and I use whatever I can to give myself assignments. I mean, if figure as a writer, you have to be your own boss. So you have to be the world's worst boss, you know, <laughs> or, or you're going to fail or someone else is going to beat you to the book deal or something. So, um, yeah, so that, that was it. And I had the, I had the draft and then I was able to work on it with a baby in my lap, you know, a couple of months later, once I had the draft done. Um, and then the title changed very late and, in the game. Marketing was biting their nails. They didn't make any demands, but they really wanted me to come up with something else. Uh, what was it? Because it was Girlies. Yeah, or... the, the, it was called The Girlies, which I thought would be a really unique title search that nobody would ever <laughs> like, accidentally get something else. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like unique titles. Like, oh, that book. Okay, um, and They it's might also, get
0: something else. It might not necessarily be a yeah, book.
1: <laughs> and I also kind of thought that it was... Uh, you know, I, I knew pretty early on that this book was a lot less subversive than you would think and I kind of wanted the subversiveness of the title. I thought it was the best thing about the whole deal. So I gave a, a, up on it. Because the book is sweet natured. Even though, yeah, it's surprisingly sweet natured. Do you want
0: to tell a little bit about the book, like set it up a bit?
1: Yeah, it's and it's a total surprise to me. It's not something that I was looking to do for many, many years. Like I say, I, I, January 1st I started it and then the, Two months later, I, I had a book. So it's, oh, it's, uh, it's, um... Your first
0: historical novel. Yeah.
1: Without it being heavy heavy on history, it, it sort of feels like it could be any time in certain circumstances, but that it's very character-based. Um, and I found, too, that I didn't want to just stick a lot of historical stuff in just to show off, which you find sometimes in some historical You didn't want to be <laughs> James
0: Mishner on this open
1: uh, up topic. T- talking about V-mail or something like that. So, uh... So yeah, it's it's about um, a, a woman named Sal Chesterton who is trying to hold down the fort in the Loop and a camera store in Chicago. In Chicago, an area I knew well from um, freelance advertising and staying downtown in, in the Loop for ad agency work. Um, and in 1944, and uh, a, photo- a an illustrator for Stars and Stripes, who's hurts his hand in a stupid way and is sent home, and he's trying to get work. Uh, is a commercial illustrator, and he also has to go by the camera store and give the, his buddies regards to Sal. Uh, he ends up renting a room from her and learning photography because he can't draw. He anymore. can't draw anymore, and um, uh, she is secretly has just begun this flirtation with producing her own uh, pinup photos of herself out of necessity. Out of necessity, and they end up using a having a friend. Uh, get involved too and
0: it, Great names too <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, have fun with names
0: You know what, let's take a short break Steve okay. And then we'll come back um, You're listening to Living Writers Today on the program, Steve Amick I'm T. Hetzel We'll be right back
3: I'm through with love I'll never fall again Said adieu to love Don't ever call again For I must have you or no one Because I'm through with love I've locked my heart I'll keep my feelings there I have stocked my heart I say air. For I mean To care for No one Because I'm through With love Why did you lead me To think that you Care You didn't need Me for you Had your share Of slave Could never bring the things that used to be. For I must have you or no one. So I am.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Steve Amick on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Um, Goodbye to spring. Hello to spring. I actually, I'm the one that goofed that one up. We wanted a Nat King Cole, but Steve, you were looking for the, my girl's, my girl, my, my friend's girlfriend, or wait, what was it? (laughs) uh,
1: She's my buddy's chick. There you go. But that, (laughs) that applies as well. Uh, That applies to the book as well. There, There's definitely, um. Moments of heartbreak uh, in the book,
0: and that comes from um, you wrote a, 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 a com, like a, some a companion a musical piece on large hearted boy.
1: Yeah, it's the right? second time I've done it for them. It, he uh, he he asks writers to. Um, I notice that there's tons of them now. When I first did it, it was up for about a month at a time, but now there's one every day or a couple every day. He asks writers to. Uh, uh, Create a soundtrack and sort of an explanation, and they, they become sort of essays about the book. Um, the first one was easy because we had a uh, soundtrack to the lake, the river, and the other lake already up. Where you, so he loved it for that one. On your you website, just,
0: did you? It, yeah, was it, it was on, on the Random, Random
1: House website. It's on both actually. You can go to steve amickcom and find it. There's also a friends and fans page that a f- uh, supporter and friend of mine set up that connects to both of these places. But then on Random House, they spent all this money for the first book and um, in ways that you're never going to see. Like, um, There's a map. This map that I drew that ended up being the cover of, of, the, uh, of the first book and created some controversy with some readers who uh, insist that it, it's a specific town and here's the proof. And the map is different than the book, really. Um, <laughs> yes, part of the map was Elk Rapids, Michigan, and it was also Manistee, and it was my way of sort of creating a town... Um, a blending yeah (laughs) but but the book was not based on either of those towns and i'd love to say that a million times because for some reason people got very territorial about that it's interesting that the new book is um takes place in all real places um do people leave you alone about it though because they feel like you're being true to the location i I, I was never it was not a roman a clef or whatever they call it it wasn't the first book wasn't something i observed or even heard or anything that was translated into fiction it was pure fiction um but i created this map and uh it's on a flashlight that's beautiful i showed it to a couple um web designer friends and they said this is amazing and it's been up for five years and it's still looks really you can go on and you can hear dick siegel uh who's who's a friend and he's he's in the first book as a sort of walk on um you can hear the jukebox of the soundtrack for the first one, so that was fun.
0: And so that's on the Random House that's website on, for the lake, the river, yeah. and the other lake. And you
1: can connect it. You can connect to it with steve Um And then the, um, they asked me again to write this essay, which was somewhat easier for the the new book because there are a couple instances where people are listening to music, and and I, and I do it intentionally. I mean, you know, you do use whatever you can in the moment. When you need a detail, you 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 use the right song that says something. And
0: you gravitate music, just naturally. Yeah,
1: I mean, you, you do pick something that's symbolic to what's going on in the scene. So there are moments where they turn on the radio and they're hearing Paper Doll and that sort of thing. But it is harder to do because I insisted on the own, my own version of writing this thing uh, about the book was that all the music that I think represents the book should actually be available at the time of the scene. It was just something that I, I insisted in my head. So um, so that's, that, that essay there is all stuff that if it were a movie, for instance, it would be valid that that would be playing on the jukebox. Um, one of the funny things I did on that was a reference to Ann Arbor that I'm sure most people aren't even alive remember this. But my mom told me about years ago and I snuck it into the book. But no, I didn't. Yeah, I think I did.
0: Because you also made a map for this this book for Nothing But a Smile.
1: Yeah, right? with the help of uh, a, a great map librarian at the U of M grad library, Tim Utter, who I've met in the course of trying to do research for things. Um, he helped me get a 1947 map of Ann Arbor, which is even without the icons that I stuck on it, to, um You can find these maps online, too. Um
0: Uh, But your mom, you were saying that she she gave you like an insider's like
1: a historical fact a long time ago that at Red's Right Red's Right Spot, which is where the big apartment building is.
0: uh, Oh no, okay. uh, So on on William and uh, Maynard,
1: yeah, Uh, or or no? Yeah, there's a yeah, I believe so. Close to there, yeah. What do you call it? I've forgotten. It's (laughs) getting old. But um, but it was a it was a great diner and student hangout, and they had a jukebox. Um, where you could play Five Minutes of Silence. And I love that idea now. I would love that now. It oh, I mean, would be great. <laughs> I, I've always heard, too, that the CIA has some kind of device that you can like shut off all cell phones around you. I would love that. Um, but <laughs> but uh, so I put on my list, on my soundtrack, because they're going around at one point around Ann Arbor, uh, I put the Five Minutes of Silence from the jukebox of Reds Rice as one of the song cuts on my essay on Large Harder Boy. Let's let's hear a, a piece, shall okay. we,
0: Steve? Do you have? Um, yeah, I have. There's a there's an from? Ann
1: Arbor section in this book. About a fifth of it takes place in Ann Arbor. It's mostly a Chicago book, um, and this isn't a this not, is not a heavy, uh, eventful section. But I, I think it might be fun for people from the area to hear. Um, they're Wink and Sal are walking around Ann Arbor, and they're discussing where they might live. More safely at a certain point in their life,
0: and Wink is the returning. Um, he's the the vet from World War Two,
1: right? Who is now a photographer, and uh, and she is a photographer as well in her own right, as well as being a model for these some of these photos.
0: And and at this point,
1: they've they've fallen had some, in love. Yeah, that, at this point, <laughs> I hope that's it's not pretty a spoiler. clear. I, I think it's clear at this point that they're together. If I read this, um, and it, they're also in. There have been some consequences to their actions. Uh, some people might say uh you know they should be punished more and that more bad stuff should happen but uh, but we're not those people yeah we're not the new york times
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was not what the times said <laughs> yeah.
1: uh i'm quite i'm quite open about my bad reviews cuz <laughs> they they i have to say they've been pretty slim in between i mean you know i've been lucky so uh, i'll admit to the bad ones um People here seem to jaywalk as a matter of course, cutting across the street at will. You don't see that as much anymore, by the way.
0: (laughs) Well, because you're ticketed,
1: right? Right. When I grew up, and I was learning to drive from Huron, I'm interrupting my own reading here. The... They, they would take us at 12 noon right around here, they, right around campus, to just deal with people walking across the street. Oh, when you were in driver's ed? Oh, sure. They'd throw <laughs> a 16-year-old behind the wheel and have a drive down South U. It was great. Um, people don't do that as much because we have, you know, soccer moms in vans that will run you over.
0: <laughs> Without a second look.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll begin again because it was only one sentence. People here seem to jaywalk as a matter of course, cutting across the street at will. He felt silly waiting at the light with so few cars on the street and everyone else crossing, so he took her arm and did the same. They'd grabbed a Hamburg sandwich at a diner handy to the store called Red's Right Spot, a friendly little place with a limited menu, and the paring down discussion had really taken off there with, do we need to live in Chicago? After a dessert of pecan rolls, they strolled toward campus, and it became, do we need to live in a city like Chicago? He didn't think so, and he said as much as they crossed against the light. Next, they stopped in Drake's sandwich shop. He remembered this place as a kid. They had candy, rows of it, along the wall, in scientific-looking jars. Despite the pecan roll, Sal insisted the salesgirl take down five separate jars, filling little paper bags. He never, he'd never seen her so excited about candy. "'Quite a place,' she said, chomping on a root beer barrel. "'Do we need to run a camera store?' she shrugged. "'If it's profitable. You mean is it some kind of family heritage?' "'No. We could run a different kind of store.' I could work in an office. She laughed. You could not. I might, if it was something interesting. Well, that answers itself then, she said. He was thinking of Argus' camera, though he didn't tell her this. A decision like that seemed several dozen steps down the line. She said, We'll need to at least secure our stuff back there, hopefully get it moved to wherever we're going to, even if it's just for a while. Absolutely, he said. Glad she was thinking it through and wanting to keep the questions coming. What about our friends back home? Like Reenie?" For example, how do you feel about that part of it? A little sad, she said, but they'll visit, I'm sure, and Rini's probably easier to take in shorter installments, I imagine. Would we need to sell the shop? Maybe we could rent it out for a while? I guess I'm not sure. He countered countered by asking if she thought they needed to plan on never moving back. Through a mouthful of licorice wheels, she said, maybe not, I'm really not sure about that yet, but I could live with that if we had to give it up.
0: Thanks, Steve. Thanks. So that was like a little a night, late nineteen forties walking tour of Ann Arbor and having some candy <laughs>
1: and a complete plot spoiler. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! You know that you don't have to read the book now.
0: No, but but well, you've done you've yeah, don't. <laughs> It's it's a great read. It's a
1: it's a great read. I give out the, the I mention the worst review and then I tell people not to read the book. Yeah, I know. Marketing people love me. <laughs> I'm and I take a very sweet book and I give it like a, a mantle of of you know uh, salaciousness, and then I take a book that people think is well. Then you talk you know, about
0: bazooms. <laughs> yeah,
1: and then I take a book like the first book where people you know thought it was Jan Karen, and then it's got a lot of dirty stuff in it. So <laughs> right. they don't know what to do with me. Right.
0: Well, that's good. Keep them guessing. And so, so you made this. So you made a map that then comes. To, does if somebody buys this at Shaman Drum, will they get this insert as well, Steve? The,
1: maybe, the maybe there. Lo- local places and places where I'm reading, they're sending it around from Pantheon, and uh, uh, and then uh, my friend put it on that that fan page on on so people can just get it online and just look at it closer i think you can blow it up it's a lot easier to read the the original part of it is really interesting when you see how there was nothing to the west side and and how uh pre uh, you know post world war 2 boom when all the buildings you know the, there was a huge uh housing sh- shortage in 46 and and from there on and everywhere yeah everywhere it led to all the Levittown and all those places and and uh and i remember as a kid on the west side I wasn't on the west side, but being on the west side, uh, you know, seeing all these ranch houses, there were no trees or anything. I mean, it really, it's totally different now, but all those, that development of all the, all the ranch houses from that era, uh, before the trees grew up and it, it felt really different (laughs) than than it is now. But, uh, it felt probably very close to what it was in the late forties even. I mean, you know, just the same kind of house over and over. We don't think about that in Ann Arbor so much. It doesn't seem like leviton. Well,
0: well, because of the Arbor part, right? (laughs) And the greenness, you're right. Especially when spring hits, everything is, is so different to the eye. Um, We don't think about it much. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's kind of, so was it, um, is it something that, uh, you liked inhabiting this earlier Period of time, even though you live in the same town, or 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 thinking about Chicago, another place you were familiar with.
1: Yeah, I, um, I've I've been thinking more and more lately about what growing up the way I did did for me as a writer, or as a person, or something. And and it's interesting because I didn't live right downtown. We we lived within the city limits, but uh, at the time, our friends at you know we drove so far to go to, to grade school that. Friends from Pattingale would come out to our house and think that we lived in the boonies, you know. Um, sort of, in, we, we lived on the edge of the Washtenaw Community College woods. What, that's what it is now. It was an orchard when we were very young. Um, but, uh, so I grew up, and also I grew up with an older dad, a slightly older dad, um, wearing hand-me-downs for my cousins who were all, grew up in the 50s. And so, you know, getting hair from my dad. And we were sort of the 1950s kind of kids, and then, but but living in this town that was the quintessential 60s town, even into the 70s, right. um, you know, so th- there was this weird thing of, um, we would go into town, I remember, in the 60s, in the very young, in my mom's VW Bug, and have to go around somewhere, a road was closed or something, this would happen often. I mean, obviously, you know, protests and stuff, and my mom would say, oh, the kids are upset about something, and, you know, (laughs) and I remember, like, a lot of bare feet on the diag and that kind of thing, um, and, and so there's this weird dichotomy of being sort of this sheltered, living on the edge of the woods kind of thing, but then also growing up in a town that was very progressive, um. And, uh, and my parents were certainly as well in their own way. And this uh, affected
0: the writing they too, Steve.
1: Yeah. So I felt, I feel that I have kind of, a the best of everything there. Um, you, um, you know, kind of a sheltered hometown. I'm, 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 a, I'm a local, you know, I'm a local kid. Um, but I've gone away. I lived in London, New York, LA, DC, you know, um, But you're a local kid. I'm a local kid. Let's
0: let's take a short (laughs) break and we'll be back. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor today. Steve Amick, I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
3: I don't know, I think I could have worn South Parkway and see what routine. No, I guess I better take the bus on downtown and grab the train and cut out since I have my ticket. Still rolling real mellow. Next stop is Detroit. I think I'll get off
2: there.
3: Detroit looks very. Up on Adams Street, uh, see what the cats doing on the Saint and Wine Boulevard somewhere. I believe I wanna go to Cleveland. Yeah, I'm gonna cut on out to Cleveland now. I had the traveling blues. Wow,
0: you're listening to living writers i'm t hetzel today steve amick um wcbn fm ann arbor um yeah and it's spring and that was the traveling blues wasn't it
1: yes it was it's slim gaylord who uh who i'm i'm a huge fan of.
0: big in the 40s oh yeah
1: um i love the name slim oh yeah and 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 the way he just um he just completely created his own version of his biography so that really nobody is really clear if it was born in Detroit, Cuba or Chicago and and uh, all kinds of stuff. Don't you love
0: that? I feel cheated I that we can't do that anymore somehow. I know. Or we, how we do we do it?
1: Because, well, we'd have to somehow crash the Internet <laughs> um, or just well, we can. It's Wikipedia. Um, <laughs>
0: but then you have to go. You have to go through all these hoops of being like certified or know someone who is, and to create the. Yeah, I've yeah, right? yeah,
1: never done anything on there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I've I've always. That's an example of a. That's an example of uh My agent is constantly trying to get me to do nonfiction because he can. You can. It's one of the few things you can now sell that isn't completely ready to go. Um, you can sell. With you the can proposal. pitch an idea. Okay. Yeah, and I and, and he. Had, I have every faith that I could write a uh, nonfiction. Book, but I'm having trouble coming up with a concept that people get right away. And my even my even my agent who loves me and my writing says, you know, he admits that he often doesn't like any of my ideas, even the fiction, until he reads them. And he's like, so it's really about the way I write it or whatever. I mean, he didn't. Well, that's the art of it, isn't it? I told him about this, and he said, "What it sounds like is it a romance novel?" And I said, "No." (laughs) You know, the first book, it's about a bunch of people up north. Uh, Okay, Um, so. uh, uh but anyway I, I've I've wanted to write a book about Slim Gaylord and I can't get any backing to do it because people don't know who he is.
0: Oh well <laughs> well it might be up to you to make a revival. That could be your creative nonfiction yeah. piece that sells yeah. like my I am the, the the secret son of Slim Gay. I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah I think there might be a, an interesting approach to it that I haven't considered. Which it, let's talk about the publishing industry,
0: the state of the. And, yeah, and
1: not that I'm any expert on it, but uh, I kind of stumbled into it in a bad a bad time for books. Um, 'Cause, uh, cause you
0: felt you started we've we've established that you started reading uh, uh, um voraciously as a as a wee boy and then began writing and getting encouragement in, in as early as seventh
1: grade. Yeah, and really and, and, and then in high school, uh, uh a man named Sam Sam Bidlack, who's just a famous teacher from Ann Arbor, he's moved on, but um he uh he he really encouraged me, got me in this classic writing. Kind of, and took me seriously for the first time in terms of well, yeah, you're gonna you're, you're gonna be a writer, and here's what you do, and you get an MFA, and then you teach. And he laid it out to like a 15 year old boy. So from
0: 15, you were like, yeah. I'm a writer,
1: and I never really stopped and considered. Well, wait a minute, what? I mean, I kind of took this idea, and I did it, and I went to a school. One reason I didn't go to the U of M was that well, you're a local boy, and it's it's kind of like going to the community college in terms of leaving your own house and not living in the basement. Regret it later because, you know, there's Hopwood Awards and, and all kinds of uh, – there's this, there's this reputation for being here that, you know, I feel sometimes like I'm the bastard stepchild living in Ann Arbor. And uh, uh, so um, but, I, went to, I went to St. Lawrence because at the time there was no place – there were maybe two undergraduate schools that had an English uh, writing concentration, it was just lit and stuff, so I really, I really knew that I wanted so to do this. So you chose it
0: specifically to yeah. go.
1: And and if I thought about it, I might have thought, you know, I want to be a writer because because of uh, Rob Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke Show. You know, he kisses his wife, he goes to town, writes some jokes, and writes for TV. And that probably would have been if I'd really rationalized w- what my interest was. You know, I enjoyed writing ads because um, because of that sort of gun to the head. Hey, we need something by twelve o'clock. I, I'm sort of a craftsman that way. I like to just make, and I make assignments for myself all the time. The first book, I wrote the first 200 pages um, because I had 10 days up at the cottage by myself. And uh, I thought, I'm going to write 20 pages a day for this idea that I've been thinking about on the drive up here. And I did it. And that's, so,
0: so that's discipline.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. And it's harder to do, you know, now that I'm married and have a two-year-old. But I I have to make assignments for myself in and, and some disorganized version of Anal retention, I'm able to do it um yes, <laughs> very disorganized, organized guy, and um because nobody cares, you know, even if you have two books out, nobody's saying, "Hey, Steve, come on, give me another book um you have to do it, and you have to have a bunch of things going because you're gonna get disappointments and uh which I think that's just the only difference
0: recently, yeah
1: it yeah, had- I just I have a book that that I that I actually turned in before this was even written. And and it was kind of put aside because there was some excitement at Pantheon about this. And I don't want to bash them too badly, but everyone is in a position right now, uh, there's no cash, even in the big, even in a place like Random House. So they're not taking on anything that isn't going to immediately make money or isn't immediately ready to go. Uh, So the act of sort of this... Angerous editing process Which is part of a deal Usually isn't really available So you get a reaction like We love your book The paperback division Loves your book You need to, you need to cut some stuff And do work And, and then maybe You're listening to WCDN Sports Where Michigan basketball happens
0: Now it's right Off a of screen Douglas NBA range Free Stu Douglas Michigan wow. wins 18 seconds, the
1: differential between the game and shot clock. Michigan holding a two-point lead, trying to get it.
2: Oh, back door, Sims! He slams it! Oh, baby!
0: Four-point game, there's still 28 points. Slam it home to Son! Oh, boy. Four-point game, 20 seconds still left. Plenty of time for UCLA. Here's Keith, top of the key. Holiday in the near quarter. Michigan cannot allow a three here. Holiday. Low baseline, pass it wildly out of bounds! 14.1 to go, and now Michigan consents it. Long outlet pass into the hands of Collison in the front court. Collison has it. Tough three, partially blocked. Bogan! A shocker in New York City. Michigan knocks off the number four team of the country, and they'll get duke tomorrow night for a 2K Sports Classic Championship. And a good Wednesday. Good of you to spend it with us here on the DSR in Ann Arbor. Rob Salmon, Arusha and Andrew Side will be with us in a few minutes as we take you till the bottom of the hour, our second-to-last show of the 0-9 school year. And the DSR yesterday I talked about how big of a night it was on Tuesday night in the NBA playoffs, four game fives. And I thought going into the night that all four home teams would win, the one team that disappointed was San Antonio. So we'll run through the games, four from last, night and i going to get you set for two more games tonight. Now we could start with the most compelling game of the night, most compelling series so far in the first round in this year's playoffs, and the most compelling first round playoff series in a long time in the NBA. I mean, this one has gone right up there.